The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Morning. It is a delight to be with you today. Uh, anytime, it's a delight to be here, but particularly today as we confirm and receive uh, young adults and adults into the full life of this church. A few weeks before Dabo Swinney won his first national title, the Washington Post ran an article entitled Across College Football, I Love You Becomes Audible. And it ran with a picture of Dabo standing next to his quarterback with his arm around his shoulders. Chuck Culpepper, the columnist, wrote this. If searching the landscape for bellwethers, one could have done a lot worse than a moment in Greater Phoenix on the night of Monday, January 11, 2016. It happened in an interview room on the interview dais in the national championship game's aftermath. Clemson coach Dabo Swinney finished his remarks and stood to depart. Then and there did Swinney lead down to, lean down to his quarterback, who remained to field more questions. I love you, Swinney said. Love you too, coach, the quarterback replied. In the citadel of American culture known as college football, it is a 21st century of fewer huddles and gaudier uniforms. It's about waterfalls in football facilities and occasional targeting calls with futuristic hitting from athletes ever faster, harder, and more fortified with nutritional, nutritional precision. And curiously, it is about an enhanced social setting in which the three best words in the English language, I love you, get spoken loud where once they went muffled. So when he commented that many of the young men who end up playing for him come from a world where they are loved because of what they can do. Many, he said, come from fatherless homes. All of them need to know and to hear that they are loved. Friends, sociologists have for years now traced out the effects of fatherlessness in our culture and the consequences are staggering. I won't recite the sad statistics for you, 
but suicides and homelessness and behavioral disorders and high school dropouts uh, soar in fatherless homes. And it's a very sad list. Meanwhile, in the face of those grim statistics, our culture continues to tell us that fathers are dispensable. In a peer-reviewed article for the Journal of Discipleship and Family Ministry, David McGee and Bryce Hantla present their analysis of the changing portrayals of fathers in mass media over the past 60 years and its effect on society. Here's their summary. The portrayal of dads in the media has progressively devolved from a father knows best role to the dunderheaded dad who needs constant supervision from his wife and his kids. In the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and partly into the mid-80s, dads were depicted as a more traditional wise leader who was capable of guiding his family. The trend changed significantly in the early 1990s, at which points dads have been portrayed more along the lines of Homer Simpson than Ward Cleaver. Buffoonish, ignorant, self-centered. These inept television dads must be shown their proper places in the home, and at best, television dads are nominal or figurehead leaders of the home, but at worst, they are relegated to the intellectual level of the family pet. Concurrent with this devaluation of fatherhood in pop culture, they wrote, is the actual deterioration of the American family over the course of the same period. Divorce rates are higher, single parents more prevalent, generations are being raised, without the positive influence of a father. These phenomena have left an indelible mark in our culture, and America is seeing a rise in sons who do not know how to act as men, and in daughters who long for male attention. And then here's their money conclusion. The state of the local church is not much different than the larger American culture. The result of this cultural influence in church settings is a general lack of male leadership and participation in the life of the church. And I want to suggest that the absence of fathers in our culture is actually reflective of an increasing lack of understanding or devaluing of God as father in our theology. And so two questions we'll be looking at today, and the first is this, why call God father? And secondly, what kind of father is he? Why call God father? What kind of father is he? That's where we're going. Let's pray. Gracious God, with Paul, we bow before you, recognizing that it is from you, our Father, Heavenly Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And we do pray, Lord, that we might be strengthened with your power by your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In his name we pray. Amen. So John Calvin famously opened his institutes with this sentence. Our wisdom, insofar as it is deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And while Calvin in the 16th century did not think it mattered where you started with God or with oneself, for any number of reasons in the 21st century, I do think it matters today. And I want to suggest that if we're to know ourselves rightly, we must first understand God rightly. For it is in the knowledge of God and who he truly is that we then begin to understand who we are 
and what we are meant to be. Christians have always held a clear position in the cultural questions being asked today of our identity as a received identity given to us by a gracious Father. So why call God Father? The Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed all begin with calling God Father. When you gather the group of Christians in a small group or praying individually, almost every single person begins by addressing God as their Father. R.C. Sproul, writing on this matter, said, there is nothing more common among us than to address God as our Father. So central is this to our Christian experience that I'm afraid we miss one of the most radical teachings. Right, there were, in the Old Testament, any number of appropriate forms of address for God that the Jewish person would have used. And if you grew up in a Jewish home, you would have been taught to address God using the proper terms of respect. These titles would have been memorized. And the term father, particularly in the manner in which Jesus used it, was not among them. Sproul continued by saying the first Jewish rabbi to call God father directly was Jesus of Nazareth, right? It was a radical departure from tradition. And in fact, in every recorded prayer we have from Jesus, save one, he calls, calls God Father. It was for that reason that many of Jesus' adversaries sought to destroy him. He assumed to have an intimate, personal relationship with the sovereign God of heaven and the creator of all things, and he dared to speak in such intimate terms with God. What was even more radical was that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, as he teaches us to pray, he said, when you pray, say, our Father. Meaning that if you are in Christ, he has adopted you into his family and made you his co-heir and has given to us the privilege and the right to come into the presence of the majesty of God and to address him as Father. Why call God Father? Simon Chan, former professor of systematic theology, at Trinity Theological College in Singapore wrote, Father is the proper name of God given by divine revelation. It is how God is primarily to be identified and at stake is a Trinitarian identity which inevitably affects the church's identity. Why call God Father? Because it's his self-revelation. But what kind of father is he? And I'm gonna give you three images from scripture. The first, Scripture says that God is a loving Father. David, writing in Psalm 86, said, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That means He cares for you. In fact, He loves you more than you'll ever know. He loves you more than you'll be able to experience. Continuing to reflect on God's nature, David writes again in Psalm 104, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. There's a story in the Bible, and you will know it. It's where the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee in a fishing boat, and Jesus was with them in the boat, but you'll remember he was asleep. And a sudden storm comes up, and the waves start churning, and the rain's pouring down, and the little boat begins to be buffeted in a rocky sea. Water coming over the sides of the boat, Jesus asleep in the end of the boat, completely unconcerned. And his disciples went over to him and woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we are dying? And I want to suggest that that is the deepest cry of the human heart. God, don't you care about me? 
Don't you care about my problems? Don't you care about my pain? The things I'm going through, the stresses I'm feeling, the worries I'm experiencing. God, do you really care what's happening to me? And the answer is yes. It's resoundingly yes. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we're told to cast all your anxiety on him, right? It means every kind of anxiety that you have. Financial, physical, social, spiritual, mental, relational. Why? Because Peter tells us that he cares for you. Does God care that you're underemployed? Yes. Does God care about the challenges that your children are facing? Yes. Does God care about your marriage, your friendships? Yes. Does God care about your aspirations and your hopes? Yes. He is a loving Father. And your Heavenly Father cares for the details of your life. And because God was one of us, He understands our circumstance and He knows our need. And so Jesus told His disciples, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. He has said to you, what are you worrying about? Your heavenly Father knows the details of your life and he's going to take care of you. Friends, whenever we start to worry about anything, it's a warning signal that we've started to doubt the love of God in our life. Doubting that God is sovereign, doubting that God cares. I better worry about this one. I'm going to have to work this one out because God, God can't handle this one. And every time we worry, it's a reflection at some level that we doubt that God cares about the details of our lives. And scripture reveals to us, friends, that God is a loving father. The second thing we see in scripture is that he's a steadfast father. I mean, what does that mean? It means you can count on him. Not sometime, but every time. He's always dependable. He's worthy of your trust. He is not capricious. God doesn't have a bad day. And his consistency does not depend on your consistency. If you are faithless, he is faithful. When you're down, he is still up. When you're struggling, he remains victorious. He is steadfast. As you work your way through the Psalms, it's one of the most common descriptors of God, that he is steadfast. And you know full well that our world is changing at an incredible rate. And while everything around us might be changing, there is one thing that you can absolutely count on, that God never changes. He always acts in the same way toward you. He always acts in love. He always acts with compassion. He always acts with grace. God does not change. He's loving. He is steadfast. This is what God is like. In the book of Malachi, God speaking through the prophet said to Israel, I, the Lord, do not change. And you can count on that. He's a different kind of father. He's a loving father. He's a steadfast father. And then scripture also shows us that he is a father who's near to us. He's not distant. He's not far off. Right? He's available. He's available when you need him. Paul in Acts 17 in the great city of Athens said God did this, right? Created God did this so that people would reach out for him and find him since he is not far 
from each of us. <clears throat> that means that God doesn't play hide and seek. That means he wants you to find him, that God wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He is not far off. Some of us grew up with absentee fathers, maybe always off on a business trip, maybe hanging out with the guys. But he was never around when you were growing up. And when he was at home, he was still not at home, hiding behind a newspaper, perhaps sitting in front of a computer screen. And for some of us, earthly fathers were non-entities. And our view of earthly fathers can sometimes hinder our view of heavenly fathers. Good ones easily always point the way to Jesus and to the Father. But even ones that have failed highlight for us the kind of father that we intuitively know somewhere internally exists. And this is our heavenly father. You need to know that God, your heavenly father, is near to you. He's not detached. He's not distant. He's never too busy. Your parents may have been too busy for you. You may be too busy for your children. But God is never too busy. And when you pray, God doesn't say, come back a little later. I have something to do first. He never turns away. He is with you every single day. He is, we're told in the Bible, near to us. And so when I come to God with my pain, God doesn't say, come on, Steve, get over that. And if you had a difficult week, God understands. And scripture tells us again, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I have no doubt that in a church this size, there is someone here today who is brokenhearted whose spirit has been crushed. Parenthetical note, there's prayer teams here that would love to pray with you about these things. Right? What do you do? Well, you turn to a loving Heavenly Father. A loving Heavenly Father who is sympathetic to your hurt, who is never too busy. He is a good Father. And if you are in Christ, you are His child. And when Jesus spoke to his disciples about God being his father and our father, he used an interesting term for father. And some of you will know this. It's the word Abba. It's one of the very first words that a Middle Eastern child learns. Not quite, but almost means daddy or papa, right? It's not baby talk. It's not childish. It's childlike, but it's not childish. And in that term for God is intimacy and endearment. And there's no barrier between a child and their father. It's just Abba. And so the Lord tells us that when we come and talk to God, we're to say Abba, Papa. And a very simple question. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Because this is the kind of relationship that God desires to have with you. He wants you to have a kind of relationship with him where you can come to say, Abba, Dad, here's my problem. Here's where it hurts today. Here's my need. 
Here's what happened. No ritual, no formality, just daughter to dad, son to dad. Because, friends, Scripture shows to us that we have a loving, steadfast, heavenly Father who is near to us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might understand you rightly so that we might understand who we are and who we are meant to be. We pray today for the gift of your Holy Spirit that he might awaken some first to relationship with Christ, but that he may also be at work giving us right insight and sight to you as God, our Heavenly Father. And we pray, Lord, that in right understanding that healing and wholeness may come into our lives as that term is redeemed or magnified for us. We ask these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen.